we were just joking uh, whenever we came in. We we got out of here uh, probably about 9:30, uh, maybe 10 o'clock uh, last night. And uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I have a late evening and my mind's going, I don't just like go home and hop in bed. I mean, you know, the wheels are still turning, so uh, I. I shut it down later, and uh, then, and then got up. But I, 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 ever since, ever since probably two weeks ago, when I started studying and just thinking, getting back into it. I don't know how you have prepared for uh, for this morning. A number of you came to um, the men's uh, prayer breakfast, and we prayed specifically uh, for this time. We prayed for ourselves, uh, but we also prayed for this group. We prayed for those who. Uh, participated last semester, and then we also prayed uh, for the new folks that would be, you know, that would be piling on. If you are new, um, there we have uh, the Grace and Granite uh, manuals over here, and you can uh, you can get one. You can sit anywhere you like, guys. Um, at the end of the service, if you want to grab one now or have Clay give you one, um, you can. Uh, yeah. You got two of them, three of them, four of them. Um, there is uh, uh, a printing fee, I think, for the office. I don't know what it is, but uh, um, huh? Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. Okay. Ten if you're in college. Ten if you're in college. Uh, an extra. Uh, Five dollars if you're over sixty-five. I was getting ready to say, you know, an extra five bucks for the biblical counseling ministry. You know, throw something else in. Maybe lunch today, huh? Two fifty if you're in counseling. Yeah, we give them away free if you're in counseling because I got to put up with you. That's 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 what it is. Okay, great. Um, so this is the what we will use uh, every time. Um, we're on series two, study four this morning. We're going to be looking at a man of humility. We got some things before we get there, but that's what um, that's what we're we're uh, we're going to be doing. So in preparation for this morning, I went back and reviewed everything we covered up to up to this point. There is this this idea. It's a it's a wrong-headed idea that that's part of our culture. You know that that our culture craves after newness, um, craves after uh, uh, you know uh, innovation. You know, there's something boring. Uh, they they say if 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 you've experienced it before, if you read it before, if you heard it before, and those who buy into that um, get get tired of the Bible really quickly. Because the Bible says the same thing over and over and over and over, um, and uh, and why does it do that? Well, number one, the subject matter is worthy to be heard over and over and over and over because it's God, uh, and number two, we need it, don't we? We need to be reminded over and over and over. Now, I wish, in some ways, um, you know, that uh, that I could start my Christian life once I said, you know. Uh, uh, yes to Christ, that He worked in my heart, opened my eyes, that you can just kind of, you know, get that computer download. You know, you stick in the USB and it downloads everything about the Lord and yourself and you get inoculated to sin, And but that's not the way it works, right? Um, it, is a, it is a process, that uh, progressive sanctification. So I went back and, uh, um, and reviewed um, everything um, 
for uh, for this morning that brings us up to humility. So one of the assignments I'll give you uh, today uh, before we leave is if you haven't done that, I encourage you to 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 do it because we're we're running along in a uh, uh, in a curriculum. And on uh, Saturday, we talked about the fact that um, you know we're really trying to create men um, of, uh, of of grace and uh, and uh, and granite. And uh, our motto, uh, we looked at Psalm uh, 15, uh, 1 uh, through 5. We talked about being men of uh, men of integrity, and we want to be influenced by God, and we want to we want to influence others. And how are you influenced by God? Uh, we do that through His Word. If you want to know God, know His Word. It's not going to be some mystical mountaintop experience. You know, you don't have to. Um, um, you know. Uh, put on a, a you know a camel-haired garment and live in the moss and you know eat paste. If you want to know God, read His Word, uh, because that's how God reveals Himself. He He reveals Himself in two ways, in two places. Okay, creation that declares the glory of God, but that's not enough to save you. That's only enough to condemn you. Uh, and more specifically, He reveals Himself in His um, in His Word. And so uh, you'd be influenced by God, be influenced by the Word, and that's what we're that's what we're here to do. Um, we want to be men who you know who know the truth, who live the truth. It's not enough to know it; we want to live it. And then we want to be men who proclaim the truth, tell others about the truth. And then we want to be men who disciple others. Uh, want to pass it on. It's a mandate. Second Timothy two two, and all spiritual influence that you would have for others comes from godly character. All spiritual influence um, from God to you is going to come through His Word. And then all spiritual influence that you have toward others is, is going to flow from you from you knowing God and that, um, and that godly character. So this morning, we're looking at, at, uh, at becoming a man of, uh, you know, of humility. I'll show you a video... Uh, to kick it off whenever we get there. But I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 8 because that's where we'll start. Psalm 8. And we'll read and then we'll pray. This is for the choir director on a musical instrument that we've probably never played. A psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. So he makes this statement about the Lord. His name, which is who God is. God's name is all of His character. It's majestic in all the earth. He makes these statements about God. And then he begins to ponder. When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which 
which you have appointed, you fixed, you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than, than the angels or God. You crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we read your word. And like David, we we think about all that you have done, your your majestic power, um, it's unrivaled. Uh, we marvel at uh, at n- natural events on the earth and uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, and um, not even those kind of events, but just the fact that the earth turns every day. We look out into the stars, we see um, this this expanse, this mass of light uh, and we 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 ponder um, we, we're amazed by who you are and then like David father we begin to think about how small we are and and we wonder um, how amazing it is that you're mindful of us that you even pay attention to us that you that we even cross your your thoughts you are so so massive so great And yet, in that greatness, you are gracious. And you tell us, not only are you mindful, not only are you aware, but you're intimately aware. You you tell us things like, um, you know the number of hairs on our head, that you you care for us. Um, You even know whenever uh, an animal falls, a bird hits the ground, and we are much more important to you than than birds. you have loved us so much um, that you came to us. You loved us so much that you called us to yourself and um, implanted your grace in our hearts. You loved us, mindful of us so much that you've called us to serve you. What a privilege that is. Lord, we want to think rightly about ourselves this morning. And uh, we do that by thinking rightly about you. Thank you, Lord for being mindful of us. Thank you for these men who have given up this morning, this time, to seek you. And I do ask that it would be profitable. Uh, we're kicking the new semester off, so helps to do that well. Help me to teach. Uh, fill up the, the deficiencies um, that, that I have, the, the insufficiency. I look to you and... Um, Use these other men, what's on their hearts, um, to encourage one another. Lord, we just want to serve you. We want to see uh, Christ receive the glory that's due Him. Um, so we want to see others come to faith in, in you. And uh, those of us who know you, um, we, want to be, we want to become holy. We want to root out sin and uh, we want to be sanctified. Um, we want to be used to a greater degree. We want to serve you to a greater degree. We, we want to think less of, um, 
about uh, everything other than you. And we pray that you would glorify yourself uh, this morning in our time. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we're going we're gonna to start with a video of Piper. I actually had two videos. Yep. Uh, one was by J.I. Packer, and I'm going to save it for you uh, for later. Um, and if you haven't been here, we start off with a video that's usually three to five minutes to kick it off. This one is on humility on our, on our topic, and it's the one that I uh, chose this morning. So after that, we'll... Loneliness is the great opposite of a sense of entitlement. You want my definition of humility? Just use that one. It's the opposite of a sense of entitlement. So, do you walk through life mainly feeling, you owe me. You owe me a certain look when I walk by you on the street. You owe me a certain behavior in the neighborhood. You owe me that newspaper before 6.30. You owe me, and I get mad when you don't pay. Is that your basic orientation? If it's not, if it is, you're not humble. And I'm not humble. You need to pray for your pastors. Who in the world can be like that? Well, Christians. Do you remember Paul, what he said? In Romans 1.15, he said, I am debtor to the Jews and to the Greeks, meaning everybody. I owe everybody. Nobody owes me. Where does that come from? It comes from being stunned at the grace of God. When he owed you nothing but hell, he went to hell for you. Until you're stunned by that, you will have a sense of entitlement. You will walk through life and your basic orientation will be, you owe me. But as soon as it lands on you with stunning force that you were owed hell. And you got heaven at the cost of the life of the Son of God. So much for your sense of entitlement. It's over. Humility happens. It's a battle. We have to preach it to ourselves. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So did you get what he said? We're talking about humility. And when we talk about the topic of, of humility, we're, we're not really talking about a work. Um, there's effort that's involved of how you cultivate humility. Um, but, but it actually comes from a, a, a right view of God. And a right view of God helps you have a right view of yourself, which is why we started with Psalm 8. This morning. That's what David is doing. 
when he begins to contemplate who God is and what God has done, how he's created, then he says, who am I that you would even think about me? That's humility. How does David have that humility? He sees God rightly because he's been stunned by what what he deserves. He he understands what, um, what he deserves. We're on page 25. And true biblical humility is what we're talking about. We want to be a man of, of humility. We want to be men of humility. Um, the Christian life is not one of self-importance or self-fulfillment, but it's a life of abandoning your own agenda and placing yourself at God's complete disposal. Until you see things the way that Piper just described, you will not abandon your own agenda. Your own agenda is you. That's the root of depravity. I am my own agenda. I want to be God. I want to be served. That's where the whole idea of entitlement comes from. Everybody has been put on this planet to do something for me. That's, that's just that's the, 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 the program that... That, that runs. Most of the frustration and most of the disillusionment and the grumbling and the dissatisfaction that comes from your heart or my heart um, comes because we fail to grasp the, the nature of true discipleship, the nature of what it means to be a, to be a Christian. That's why you can't just add Jesus to your life. There has to be this this transformation of the heart, this transformation of the heart, which the Bible uses a bunch of different terms. It means being born again. It means being converted. It means being transformed. You no longer live for yourself, but but you live for the one who died for you. you you're you're at his you're at his complete disposal. And if you would go back and think about the discouragement or the disillusionment or the dissatisfaction or the grumbling that comes in your heart is going to be because you're not getting what you think that you deserve or what you think you want. And it it all comes from my rights, my agenda. Um, When the Bible, the term, the most prevalent term that God uses to describe you, there's two. There's a saint, and we like that one. And we go, I'm not a saint. I'm not a saint. I know I'm not a saint, but I am a Christ. You're declared righteous, okay? But the other is a slave. You're a slave. You're you're a servant. Um, Now, who in the world, literally, would say, the moniker that I want to wear on my life is, I'm a servant, I am a slave. That's that that is my that's my highest aim. My greatest goal in life is to be a bond slave. I have no rights whatsoever and I have no agenda. But that's exactly what God calls us to be and calls us to do. That's what true discipleship is. It's not something that you attain whenever you get really spiritual. That's what being a Christian is. You you, you follow him. You're a follower of a master. And that master has teaching. And we're learning whatsoever things he has commanded. And we, we, live, we live for him. 
Now that's obviously very countercultural, very counter to it's countercultural because it's counter to our heart. True biblical humility is absolutely counterintuitive to everything the world will throw at you and tell you how to get what you want out of life. Um, in the race to satisfy earthly pleasures, moral, ethical, moral and ethical rules quickly become bent and broken. So what we're going to examine in this session is a biblical view of humility and what it means to cultivate that as a as a godly man. Piper says it's the opposite of entitlement. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, we just preached that passage not long ago, um, where he corrects the disciples of being prone to prominence. He says discipleship is is uh, is submitting and serving. Um, humility is submitting and serving. Piper says it's the opposite of entitlement. Um, so that's maybe the attitude. The attitude of your heart is the opposite of entitlement. I'm not entitled to anything. I deserve hell, and I got heaven. And if that doesn't stun you, you need to you need to really think about that because that's the gospel. It's the it's the effect of the gospel. So what does that look like? Well, Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10, it looks like submitting and serving. Um, that's the passage of the Son of Man didn't, didn't come into, you know, into the world to be served. Uh, but he came to be a servant. He came to do the will of the Father. So Jesus submitted. God, a very God, submitted to the will of the Father and that will was to serve, was to other, was to, to be focused on others. So the biblical passages, um, we read Psalm 8. Um, Psalm, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 66, verse 2. Somebody look up Isaiah 66. Mark, you going to get that? Would you? Yep, read that for us. Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, but on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Again, talking about creation, the greatness of God. But who captures God's gaze? Who does the Lord pay attention to? What pleases Him? It's the person who is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. There's a good definition of when humility is operating in the heart. Now, obviously, the opposite is is pride. And so, we talked about pride is, uh, has become a throwaway word in our culture. Um, we're told that there are things that we should actually be proud of. Uh, we're to be proud of whether it be our race or our heritage, our nation. We're to be proud of certain things. The fact is, as with any sin, it's very difficult to keep uh, the lines clear to define between satisfaction and then what actually bleeds over into, into pride. Um, and pride is where the heart elevates itself over, over a, a, another person, people group, Pride is something that should be 
should not become common and uh, comfortable for a Christian. Instead, we ought to be constantly digging up the roots of pride that we that have found a place to grow in our hearts. Think about what he says there. Constantly digging up the roots. Um, roots can can sprout and grow without you even realizing in a certain area. So you have to you have to constantly be digging that up before it gets it becomes like a stinkweed. The only way to truly serve the church is is in humility. And as we serve, we we do so without any expectation of favors returned or even thanks. Actually, I think that's a that is a good way to see where your heart's at. When you serve or when you give and you don't get thanks. Now, the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due and it's it's a it's a good thing to thank people, to express thanksgiving to God and to others, to God and to others. That's not what is is wrong. So you should do that. Someone does something for you, it's appropriate for you to express thanks to God and thanks to them. But now you're the other person who just did something when you don't get the thanks for whatever reason. Let's say they only express it to God and not you for whatever reason. What does your heart do? Does it begin to go, huh, man, I, I, really, I really laid it out here for, for Mark and he never even said thank you. You know, that's a good test of, of your heart. If you do something for the church, something that's sacrificial, something significant, um, I don't know whether you did, but let's say you gave a big year-end gift and, and nobody said anything to you about it. You, you sent an email, nobody responded to it. How does your heart respond to that? That, that could give you evidence of some roots of, of entitlement. Um, when in reality we're just whatever we have is the Lord's anyway whatever gift we have is from the Lord and so we should give thanks to Him and use it uh, for Him to cultivate a level of humility will offer our best works and tasks done as a privilege with the goal of modeling Christ we know that Christ didn't come to serve but to be uh, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And with that in mind, there are several dimensions of cultivating humility. Now, so, so Piper set the, set the stage for us. It begins, it really, in conversion and salvation. When, when you grasp that there is a God and what you deserve from Him is hell, and then the good news floods your heart, that what you got was was Christ, was God Himself taking hell for you on the cross, and what He gave you was heaven. Then that's the roots. That that's the that's the seed bed. That's the ground. That's the heart for which humility springs forth. But then we have a responsibility to cultivate it. We have a responsibility to kill, to put off, and to put on. We have a responsibility to kill sin, and we have a responsibility to put on the things that that model Christ. Now you can't do that unless the you know unless there's there's the seedbeds there. Unless you've grasped the gospel and received it and it's transformed you, you can try to be humble all you want to, but you're going to naturally gravitate back to uh, to I'm God and and me. So being men of, of of God, how do we cultivate humility? Well number one, we we must understand the basis 
of of our humility. So everybody turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now look at what he says here. Ephesians chapter 4. Very familiar passage. But think about it in the light of of humility and what we're what we're talking about. We're cultivating. When examine these several dimensions of cultivating humility, you want to grasp the true nature of, of discipleship. Grasp the true nature of Christian slavery. We must determine, we must understand the basis of of unity. Who wants to read uh, Ephesians four one through three? All right, Peter. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, what's the first thing that Paul says there? Well, therefore, after he's gone through this, the amazing work of the gospel in the Trinity and the Church and all of that, and here's his therefore, where he's turning from. Doctrine to practice. How's the, how does Paul define himself? Therefore, I, the great apostle, who has done way more than you would ever do, <laughs> how he just defines himself. He's a prisoner of the Lord, and he, on that basis, he's modeling for us. He says, "I implore you, I urge you." And what does he urge us to do? to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, what, 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 what's, he, what's he saying there? What's the idea of walking in the Bible? We walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? We walk by faith, you know, this... We walk by faith and not by sight. What, what's, the, what's the concept? It's, a, it's an idea. Walking. To walk. Yeah, how you live your life. It's the conduct of your life. This is the characteristic of your entire life. This is the way you conduct your, your life. You walk worthy. So what does that imply? You can walk unworthy, right? I mean, you can live your life in a way that's, that's, that's out of characteristic. It, it, it's out of character. So he implores us to walk in a manner worthy. And what's it worthy of? The calling with which you have been called. What what are, what do those terms mean? What's what's Paul appealing back to? Well, in Ephesians chapter one, he gives you a really good example of what that means. The calling wherewith you have been called. This is the term for um, for God's call to salvation. Um, the calling with which you have you have been called you have been called out of darkness into light you an unworthy sinner headed for hell running as hard and as fast in the opposite direction as you could run you have been called out of the world by the sovereign God 
and that happened to you. And it wasn't, didn't have anything to do with you. It was sheer divine grace. And you are, you, you're totally unworthy of that. And so you live your life in light of that fact. Um, I uh, was, was uh, working through something with somebody, I think it was last week, and I was just talking. And I was talking about 24 years I lived my life apart from Christ. So 24 years I was an unsaved man. And uh, I know the bitter taste of doing that. Uh, probably more so today than I did whenever I was 24. <laughs> but for 24 years. And then it hit me. I'm 48. I lived 24 years for myself in darkness. And now I've lived 24 years for Christ. So half of my life was spent in in sin. And now half of my life has been spent serving serving Christ. Um, and I didn't come out of the 24 years of serving self into the 24 years of serving Christ because I just woke up one day and started, decided to follow Jesus or I'm smarter than the average bear. It was grace. So now I live, I conduct my life in a, in a way that's worthy, that, that gives credence to the fact that, 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 that He called me out of the world to follow Him. Um, that's the same theme that's, that's over and over. Now, now, then He begins to describe what that looks like. So what does it look mean to walk worthy of the fact that, that you, God has set His love on you. He's called you. He chose you. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Do you see how grace inoculates you from, from the opposite of all those things? Do you see how grace cultivates all of that in your, in your life? Humility, patience, uh, gentleness, and tolerance for for one another in love. I mean, if you understand that you've been saved by grace alone and it had nothing to do with you, uh, who are you to exalt yourself over somebody else, demand something from somebody else, get impatient with, with somebody else? I mean, seriously, think about it. I mean, who do you think you are, God? I mean, you think you're better? Of course not. You know, But that's what our hearts think. Might as well. That's the battle of the flesh. So uh, the Spirit of God builds unity into the body of Christ. And he, Paul starts here with this, this walking, living your life in a manner that's worthy of the fact that, that you're saved and that had nothing to do with you. And then you understand the character aspects that, that flows from that life that promotes that, which is humility. Humility is a Greek word that was primarily coined by Christians. It, humility is just as countercultural in the time of the early churches today. Uh, self-sufficiency, pride has always has always been there, and so the Greek word that you find for for humility was was probably coined by by Christians, and um, 
It's the most foundational of all Christian characteristics. Gentleness. It's, you might have some of your, your Bible say meekness. It's a product of humility. It means to have things under, under control. Um, heard, probably heard the definition power under, under control. It's the idea of, of self-control, not asserting um, yourself over, over someone else. The idea of being, being gentle. Patience, literally long-tempered. It's an outgrowth of humility. Tolerance. Or forbearing, having a forbearing love, forbearing love for others. Um, it's not based on, uh, you know, on their, on their response. Um, you don't give others what they deserve because Christ didn't give you what you deserve. You give others what God commands, which is these, these things. And you have to be diligent to grow in those characteristics. Was the last time that you wrote in your journal or in your prayer time or even noted in your heart? I, I want to cultivate gentleness in my life. I want to cultivate patience in my life. When I, even I say the term patience, probably the first thing that comes in your life is, "Oh, don't pray for patience," because God's going to send a trial in your life. He says, "Cultivate the, these things." Um. This is particularly important for those who have been called to lead, called to lead the church. Um, it's, a, it's the requirement of everyone, every believer. But if you get um, the privilege to serve others, then it's particularly important because pride is, is deadly. Have you ever been subjected to a proud leader? Um, well, you probably go to work. And there, you might have some proud bosses. Uh, you might have been that way yourself. Pride is uh, is deadly. Now think about how how contrary it is for somebody who's leading Christ Church to be proud. I mean, if we're saying that it's 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 mind blowing, it's totally contrary to someone who's been saved. Think about it for somebody who's been called to lead um, God's church. And yet, there are some Christian cultures that, that actually promote chest-thumping pride as worthy to follow um, rather, than, rather than lowly humility. So we imitate Paul as prisoners, prisoners of the Lord, slaves of the Lord, prisoners of the Lord. Um, we are not our own. We are mere slaves. Second Corinthians four five. First Corinthians three. We are mere servants who believe. Um, master owns the slave. Now, when we think of a slave, we think of slavery. We automatically have a negative connotation. Because our whole context of slavery is the North and the South, um, you know, the horrible practices uh, that that used to be part of certain parts of society. But that's not what you know the idea of biblical slavery. Um, being a slave is not a problem if you have a good master. <laughs> 
you are a slave outside of Christ. You're a slave to sin. You had you had a master. Everyone has a master, and that's that's the devil or or, or sin. Um, and then you obey that master. When you come to Christ, you get a new master. <laughs> you're now slaves of righteousness. You're now slaves of the Lord. You're bond slaves of the Lord. So the concept of having a master is not inherently wrong, or there's nothing inherently bad about that. Having a master and being a servant or being a slave, it's, it's how masters treat slaves or, or servants, or how they relate. And masters own slaves. And you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Um, and the idea of, of that in, in, in the Bible, in the Christian life, is not that you go kicking and screaming. Uh, you know, you, God purchased you from the slave market of the world. You know, and then he, you know, he grabs you by the ear and, and drags you in to follow him. You go kicking and screaming. That's not the idea. I mean, it's... It's, thank you, I was serving a horrible, wicked master, and now I have a wonderful, kind, gracious master who cares for all of my needs, um, who employs all of his, his power and his faculties and his ability, all of his riches are, 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 are poured out on my behalf to, to, make, to make me more like, more like him. In fact, he doesn't even treat me as a slave. He treats me as a son and makes me an heir, makes me an heir of his own house, um, promises, um, uses me for, for his glory and for his purposes. Um, that's a way different, way different from the master that, that you had before. And a master does what's best with a slave he knows that's the, the idea of submission um, we're mere servants who who believe so now we're back to the concept of you know of, of discipleship it's it's following unreservedly so first of all understand the basis of humility Piper kind of set the tone for us there Second, we understand what humility, what humility is. Now, I think A is very insightful. What humility is. It's not that you think less about yourself. It's that you don't think about yourself at all. This is like the, the guy who was proud he was really humble, right? <laughs> I'm a pretty humble guy. Um, if you're humble, true humility, you don't think much about being humble. You just serve others. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said he, he, had, he had no idea why anybody wanted to listen to him preach. He wouldn't walk across the street to hear himself preach. I get email once a week from the archives of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's, who's dead and in heaven. You've heard it from others. You've heard of MacArthur. I have no idea why, why the Lord uses me. I just ask these questions. I have these questions myself about the text, and I go in and figure it out, and then I share it with 
you know, with with others, and it's it's genuine. It's not some game that that's played. You don't think much about yourself. Um, people that are genuinely humble are typically shocked at the accolades that that others that others place on them, rather than rather than craving those accolades or thinking they deserve those those accolades. It's almost shocking to them whenever they get honored. Um, it's not that you think less about yourself. It's that you don't think about yourself at all. It's the opposite of self-awareness and self-promotion. It's regarding others more important than yourselves. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. It's seeing everyone around you as an opportunity to serve at your expense, not an opportunity to be served. Um, when you get in a conversation with someone, you're not thinking about listening to me or be concerned about me. Humble people listen a lot. You're lost in the needs of others. You walk alongside them in the Christian life. You bear their burdens. You serve regardless of their social strata or personal differences. That's why James chapter 1 says pure religion and undefiled before God is this, that you, that you, you care for, you serve widows and, and orphans. Why does he use widows and orphans? I mean, that's exactly right. They give you nothing in return. And what, what's the contrast that Jesus makes all the time with the Pharisees when he, when he, when he rebukes them for seeking the, the chief seats and, and they, they invite others to lunch? In, in Luke 14, you remember who they, who they invite to lunch? All the other prominent members. Yeah, why? Because they're at the same status as them. Yeah, so because if I invite you to lunch this Sunday, Sabbath lunch this Saturday, then you're going to invite me next one. And if I give you the chief seat in my house, then you're going to give me the chief seat in in yours. It's 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 all a it's all a game of you know of fluffing each other's feathers. Now what you see, you know, turn on the well. You probably don't know that he watches the Oscars or the Emmys or whatever anymore. But that's all it is. You know, they're they're just they're blowing air under each other's other under other's feathers. Oh, you're so great. Oh, you're so wonderful. And then they turn around and talk about how. You know how wonderful the the other person the other person is, and 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 for us it's the it's the opposite. You serve. You're not even thinking. Can this person give me something back? Not thinking. Who is this person, or who is who they're not? It's regardless. You just you just serve. It's a good Samaritan. Because there was a need that was there. So humility is, is not, man, do I feel humble? It's, it's am, I, am I lost in serving others? Um, do, I, do I not even consider myself? Uh, I employ myself in the service of, of others. So you understand what humility is. And you understand why it's important why is what we've been talking about important? Now talk back to me.
going to be a really long, awkward pause for anybody who read, who listens to Grace and Granite if you don't say anything. Humility is the foundation. It is. To be able to, to be a disciple. Okay. Excellent. And and why is that important? Yeah. Um, I mean, the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Okay. If we respect to be close to God or be able to serve Him, it's like pushing away with one hand and trying to drop the It's good. It's really good. Yeah, Stephen? If you may come after me, you must deny yourself. Okay. Take up a cross, a cross, and follow me. So there's nothing. There's a shedding of you. And embracing all the That's the essence of salvation. Everybody's talking about the essence of salvation. Walking worthy of your calling. You know, the fact that you've been you live you live in light of, of your salvation. And it's important because we lead others, we influence others, don't we? We influence others and we're called to do God's work and so you're called to be leaders of your family. So why is it important to work at what we're talking about this morning? Becoming a man of humility in the fact that you're leading your family. Yeah, Jim. There's a verse that says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, mm-hmm. that he may exalt you in due time. Yep. And it's not our exaltation. It's really God's glory manifested, and that speaks to rewards. So... As we humble ourselves under God's authority, He's using us more as a conduit, an instrument mm-hmm. for His kingdom. And of course, God is no debtor. Mm-hmm. So it all flows. It's kind of one step, two step, three step. Yeah. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In Peter, the mighty hand of God is an Old Testament term for. For, for God's sovereign providence, what, what's happening in your life. You humble yourself under the circumstances that, that God's clearly in control of, like Jim says. You, you, you place yourself under that. You arrange yourself under that, even though you go, man, I don't like this. This is not fun. This is not, doesn't feel good. I wish my, God would change my circumstances. Ask Him to change it. And then if He doesn't, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you. He may take you out from under those circumstances. You know? In, in his in his time, uh, and he'll strengthen and establish you. That's good. So you understand humility because we're called to be leaders of, you know, of our family. What happens in a family where the spiritual leader, the spiritual head of the family, is a proud person? What what happens? I literally saw it as when I was in California. Okay. My, my dad is a very proud man, and I can just see. He never married my mom, but he remarried, and so I can just see that that family just falling apart because of that pride. It's not just it's it's obviously what you model. You know, people, your your children, your wife, your others are are going to respond to that. They're going to react to that. It's not going to be good. They're either going to follow you or they're going to resent you. Um, but but what Paul said. God resists the proud. If you're leading your family and you're a proud person, you don't invite the grace of God into your family. You, you invite the judgment of God. You invite the resistance of God. You, you, you're, it's bad. <laughs> I don't know how to say it other than, other than that. Um, 
it's important because you're also called to lead not only at home but but in the church. Um, Clay, look up First Peter chapter five, verse three, and then I'll ask you to read verse five. Everybody can look at look it up if you want to. But First Peter chapter five, Clay can read. <coughs> Neither is warning it over the charge allotted to you, but making yourselves examples to the flock. Okay. okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. How far do you want to go? Just three. Did you read three? Yeah. Thank you. So this is uh, Peter um, speaking to elders. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that is to be shepherd the flock of God among you, He's talking to pastors, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sword gain, but with eagerness, nor yet at, as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Your leadership is an example. Your pursuit of humility is an example it's not your perfection as a leader. In fact, that doesn't help people to pretend like you've got it all together. Paul says the opposite to Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, let your progress be evident before all. It is not a bad thing to ask your wife for forgiveness or to go to your kids and say, I sinned against you. Forgive me. In fact, that's a wonderful thing to do. You're modeling for them what to do. Don't exasperate them by pretending that you're something that you're not. Model for them what it looks like to acknowledge and to repent and to confess and then to pursue. Um, so here you're not to, to lord it over. You're not to see the flock as something to be to serve you and for you to gain but you, you see them as somebody to serve and to pour out, and you're an example in that. So your progress becomes evident before all. So you need to you know this is important because of leaders in the family and in the church. And look at verse 5, 1 Peter 5. Clay, read that. Likewise, you were younger, be subject to the elders. Well, there's the God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But that's a, that's that's an explanation for this for this directive that God gives. Who does He give the directive to? Younger men. And what does He say to younger men? Arrange yourself under the leadership of of elders, and he says it to younger men. Why does he? Why does he? Why does he uh, single out younger men? Yeah. Um. He singles younger men out because it's it's harder when you're younger. Zeal without knowledge, <laughs> you know it. You, you 
you, you know a little, but you have a lot of zeal, but you think you know a lot. Um, and what does he say the antidote you know, is? Give them positions of leadership. <laughs> How silly are we? You know, we, we take people that are unprepared um, just because they have a lot of zeal and we stick them in positions of leadership without any supervision or otherwise. When Peter says, subject yourself to your elders, voluntarily arrange yourself under, we tell them to be world changers. We tell them to, to, to tell God all that they're going to do for Him. And when He says, clothe yourself with humility, all of you, clothe yourself with humility. So He moves from younger men to all of you. He goes from pastors to younger men to all. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. This is not just a command to pastors, elders. And it's not just a command to younger people. It's to all so this type of submissiveness is difficult for young men. And the younger you are, the more attentive you ought to be in practicing submissiveness. I can remember when I hit about about 16. And that's a, somewhere around the time that, you know, my my parents started becoming very dumb. Um I believed. I mean, think about that. You're 16 years old. You know, just, what, 13 years ago, somebody was changing your diaper. Or 14 years ago, whatever it is. And you think you know more than your parents who have lived three times longer than, than, than you have. So you got to be more attentive to that. And then everyone is called to humility. No one is exclu- excluded from the need to be humble as a Christian. It exhibits trust in God. And the absence of humility means the presence of pride. And God hates pride. I wonder if we thought about pride the way we, we think naturally think about sexual sin. Or thievery or drunkenness. Or whatever the... Wonder if we thought about pride the, the, that that if it was just as stomach turning as say homosexuality is. Now I'm not equating fornication with 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 pride. I'm not saying sins are equal. I'm using this as an illustration about we the fact that we don't hate pride the way that we ought to hate pride because God hates it. It's an offense to Him. It's it's, it's challenging him for, for authority. And you have to understand that true humility is a result of the right view of God and self, which is where we, which is where we, we began. Pride comes from a sense of personal significance. And having the view of God given in Psalm 8 ought to squash any personal significance. You want to cultivate humility, think much about God. You want to cultivate pride, think much about yourself. Where do your thoughts naturally go? Let's say there's a disappointment. You get up and you had expectations for the day. This is what you thought was going to happen today. This is what you thought your wife was going to do, your kids were going to do. This is what you thought was going to happen at work. 
You had this expectation. You created an agenda. And then you go there and it's dashed. It doesn't happen. Let's say you thought whatever was going to happen today. Your wife was going to get up and cook your breakfast or say something nice to you. She got out of the, up on the wrong side of the bed. Or you go to work and you think it's going to be an easy day and it turns out to be a really hard day. Um, and that moment is where you fight for what your heart is going to say to you versus what, what you need to be saying to yourself, what Christ you know, would, would say. Because the self-talk, the, the, what begins to go on in your head is, I can't believe they did that. I mean, I just did this yesterday. I mean, I was in this room until 10 o'clock last night. I started yesterday morning at 5.30. I never went home. I never even ate. And now here, today, this is what I get. You know, it, 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 you see the focus? The focus is on self rather than rather than on Christ, rather than you, you turn it around. Man, I, I, I get to serve the Lord. When I deserve hell, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> this is hard, but it's, not, it's nothing compared to what my Savior went through you know, for me. Maybe there's something about it that I don't, I don't fully grasp. Now you begin to focus on others and your agenda. When your agenda gets, gets dashed, your agenda wasn't what God's agenda was. You know that day. So having a view of God squashes personal significance, and our significance comes from how well we reflect Christ in our lives. So in order to see ourselves rightly, we we marinate our minds in the in the character of you know of, of God. So five and six. Um, this is going to be your homework, but I'm going to go over them with you quickly. Here are some manifestations of humility and pride. You say, Pastor, this sounds great. I'm with you. How do I know how much I have to work on? Well, here's some manifestations of, of humility and patience. Submissive to the will of God. As Jim said... When the mighty hand of God brings something in your life, do you embrace it? Do you submit to it? Do you arrange yourself under it? Or do you kick against it? Now, I don't mean do you go, yippee, I get to suffer today. I mean, it's not pleasant. But what does James say? You count it all joy. You calculate it. You consider the fruit of a trial. Count it all joy when you enter into diverse temptations, many types of trials, many different types. Why? Because you enjoy the trial? You enjoy the pain? No, because you know it's going to produce maturity. So that's the calculating. You look beyond the difficulty, what God promises to make it do in your life. And that's what you count for joy. It's not that you enjoy suffering. The joy in suffering is what God will produce in it. So, And you submit. Are you sensitive to others? When you walk in a room, are you, do you immediately become aware of other people around you, the needs that they might have? When you come to church, are you thinking, I wonder who here needs ministry? Somebody, there are people who came here this morning that are hurting. 
they they may need to be provoked to love and good works. They may need a word of encouragement. They they may need rebuked. They may need something. Are you thinking about others, or are you thinking about your yourself? You walk in the door. That person didn't shake my hand. You pick up the bulletin, and and you immediately notice that there's a an error on the bulletin, or you don't like the color, and you sit down and you look at the songs that are going to be sung, and you think, man, we sang that song three months ago. Why can't we sing new songs? And then when Pastor gets up there to preach, you begin to think, man, that illustration, you know, kind of bombed. And and when is he going to get practical? I want Tim to tell me how to do whatever in my life. That's you see how that's self-focus. That's not focused on on others. Sensitivity to others. Slow to anger. So I'm just run through on this one. Willingness to wait. Get tired of waiting on microwave popcorn. Somebody said. I mean, my dad, whenever my, when the kids are still around, they still have Grandpa make popcorn, and he does it the old-fashioned way, you know, in the pan, you know, with the lid on it, and he's, he's really good at it. And uh, I can remember microwave popcorn, he first started, you know, it took like six minutes in a bag, and now it's, you know, then it was three, and now it's two, and I can put popcorn in for two minutes, and I can go get my ice and my Dr. Pepper or whatever it is, and I come back and I'm like, are you not done yet? I mean, you know, two minutes. Perseverance in doing what is right. Do you find that you can start doing right, but have a hard time continuing in it? It's lacking humility. Are you long-suffering? with others not pushy trusting in God's purposes trusting God to control circumstances loving others without an exit strategy what does he mean by that loving others without an exit strategy it's tough man but it's true huh yeah being willing to be hurt in a relationship. Um, giving yourself completely and wholly to other people for their spiritual benefit regardless of whether they stay, whether they obey, or whether they do anything. That's really hard. I can tell it's really hard as a pastor. There's two great pains in pastoral ministry one is bringing someone in crisis or difficulty or not bringing someone so close to the truth that they see exactly what they need to do and you know what's going to happen if they embrace the truth blessing will come and if they reject the truth their life is going to experience great pain and possibly devastation you bring them that close to the truth and then they reject the truth and walk away from it that is a great pain as a pastor um, because you've seen it and you love the sheep. And the other is what Clay said. You pour into somebody and you think that they're locked in and they're, they're going in the right direction and they're part of the, of the team. They're, they've made a covenant commitment and membership and then they walk away. That's tough. Um, 
and yet you're called to, to pour your to spend and be spent for whoever, regardless of whether they they stay here or whether they whether they don't. And some of them not only leave, but some of them speak evil against you for the good that you did. And that's like a, a you know a dagger in and then and then a twist. Loving others without an exit strategy. I'll serve under these conditions. I don't want I don't want a position of service that's going to tie me down, but I'll serve to this level. You know I don't want to lead it, but you can put me on the list for a rotation every now and then. Um, I'm willing to speak into this person's life, but I don't want to take responsibility, spiritual responsibility for that person. Loving others without an exit strategy. You see how all of those has a self consideration to it. Can anybody add something else to? What humility looks like when humility is manifested in life? Yeah. Amen. It does blow your mind. It should when you think about it. It's good. Can we else have something? Yeah, Larry. Well, this is a tangent, but humility is true um, attractiveness and beauty from God's viewpoint, mm. not man's. And we get uh, a clear definition of that in First Peter 3, speaking to women, but nevertheless the, the pride wants to make the outward body beautiful and attractive to people, and God says, no, it's, it's the inner mm. of the heart. And it talks about inner Good. I'm just keying in on what he said there. What attracts God's gaze, what's beauty to, beautiful to the Lord, is repulsive to the world. The world will look at you, somebody who's serving, loving with no outlet, and they'll think that you're an absolute idiot. What are you thinking? That's crazy. There's nothing to emulate there. Why would I want to be like that? You know? Um, you're going to get stepped on. You're just going to be a doormat. Uh, and yet, that's what attracts God's gaze. It's what's beautiful to the Lord. What's beautiful to the Lord may be repulsive to the world. All right, manifestations of pride, impatience, uncontrolled hostility, harsh responses when others uh, to others when expectations aren't met, a bad temper, self-aware, fear of man, Self-trust, worry, jealousy, unwillingness to submit to the sovereign will of God in your life, pressuring others to conform to you, i.e. manipulation, insisting on having your own way, refusal to wait, not suffering under the purposes and promises of, of God. 
if we want God's favor, we must cultivate humility because it draws God's gaze. And two, we must crush pride because it brings God's swift hand. That alone ought to motivate us. I want God's gaze, and I surely don't want to invite God's God's hand of you know of, of judgment. So I'm going to send an email out to you, but you can be thinking about this. Here's your assignment. The email is basically going to say, look up these passages for study, and then you're going to do an evaluation of five and six. I want you to go through these one by one and think about these manifestations of humility and pride in your life. Um, so if you want to begin to think about that, I'll send you an email of some specific questions to, uh, to ask. Um, here's the other thing. Next week, I mentioned this in, uh, in prayer breakfast, but next week I want every man in here to invite someone to, to come to Grace and Grant. There's a bunch of people who aren't here this morning, and uh, they didn't want their pink apron, so they told me ahead of time they weren't going to be here. Um, but I want you to invite someone you know, to come. Encourage them. Tell them that you'll, you'll be there. So everybody in here, think of someone to invite um, and then ask them to come. You tell them they don't have to commit to, you know, to three years or long-term or otherwise. Just come uh, you know, next week. And that's one of the ways that you can actually serve them um, because they need it just as much as uh, we do. Anything else before I close? All right, let's pray. Father, I do thank you for these men. Thank you for just reminding me of these truths that I've studied for this morning. Oh, Father, help me to uh, conduct my life in a manner that's worthy of the grace that you have poured out on me in my life. And when I ponder that, when I think about that, it it it, it naturally humbles me. Um, Lord, when pride, self-sufficiency, self-awareness uh, rises up in my heart, help me to take it to the cross and remember that I have a good master and that I am a slave. Thank you for these brothers. Bless their day. Bless them in their leading and all they do. Help them to live this day uh, for you and for others. Um, we long to gather together as your body. We couldn't this past Sunday. So we look forward to this Sunday. And um, just pray that you would bless us with a great Lord's Day. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Don't forget this week, uh, small group start.